1130 here on July 29th this Thursday. It is time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Another loaded show once again. Of course, the heat. Another big story. We'll get more on that and regional ag weather updates with Paul Perkins in just about 15 minutes or so. Jason Jorgensen is in with sports. We'll have a couple of uh, highlights on that in a minute or so. And Bob Rogan will tell us how stocks are performing here on this Thursday. But let's head out to Des Moines, Iowa for the second straight day where Susan Littlefield is currently joining us from. And Susan, how's the day going? It is going great right now. They've got a group of speakers, some from the, the Mexican office in Mexico City, um, just talking about what's going on with Mexico and trade. You may have seen with the whole uh, USMCA and talk of biotechnology and Mexico not wanting any biotech corn, which has been them kind of in a, a little cardinal because they can't buy any grain from anybody at this point. So mm. it's, it's a definitely an interesting conversation. Now, is this the last day of Grains Council? Nope, it continues again tomorrow through um, early afternoon. So they'll have a delegate session tomorrow with some voting on some different issues. So it'll continue with some great conversation. Okay, very good. In the meantime, what can we expect from midday today? Well, I'll kick off everything at 1219. I got to sit down with Ryan Legrand. He is president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We'll talk about how COVID-19 actually gave them a positive twist and a chance to meet with some countries who normally don't have the budget to come to the United States to talk grain possibilities. Then at 1245, Whitney will step in as if producers are looking for a way to extend fall forage, oats might be an option. Ben Beckman shares about oats in the fall uh, forage options for producers. And then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack was here yesterday. I asked him about USMCA and what's going on, and I also asked that question of Ryan Legrand. So we'll get their two thoughts of where we're sitting with this three-country trade deal. All right, a lot of good content coming up. We'll let you get back to your speakers. Appreciate it. There's Susan. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much. All right, let's turn things over now to Jason Jorgensen in sports. And obviously, if you are just catching up with the news, uh, everybody's getting sued, especially in college football yeah, or just college. It's a good time to be a contract lawyer for Division <laughs> I uh, universities because those those folks are going to be busy to try to sort through all of this. Yeah. As the Big 12 sent out a cease and desist order to ESPN, accusing them of causing problems and probably some truth to that. Uh, I mean, they've, they've pretty much given up. Texas and Oklahoma are gone. Now the Big 12 is upset that uh, ESPN is trying to pluck some schools uh, from the Big 12 to go to the AAC to form mm-hmm. a whole other conference. Yeah. You know, that's one way to get away from uh, having to pay exit fees. True. If you just collapse the entire conference, who would you, who would you pay it. to? Yeah, I, right. I think that is a legitimate strategy right now. We'll see what happens. Listen, this is... An- Kind of still in infancy. I think there's a lot of other conferences mm-hmm. that are going to be doing a lot of other restructuring uh, here in the future. And we were told just two weeks ago everybody was happy. We know better. <laughs> we, knew, we, we know better. Right. All right. Thanks, Jason. Bob, how are stocks? Well, they are rising, and uh, it's in response to the latest government data showing continued economic growth, and investors reviewed another batch of mostly positive corporate earnings reports. So, Stocks are up right now, and uh, also the number of Americans collecting unemployment benefits slid last week was slid last week, which is another good sign. Uh, thanks. 
Tampa Regional Ag Weather Updates brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins is now joining us. And Paul, while it's not going to be as warm as yesterday, we're in for another heater of a kind of a day. Definitely. Um, of course, today, like you mentioned earlier, we're not seeing too much wind. The wind is yeah, just right. not blowing out there and not providing too much relief. A lot of us with temperatures, especially from about I-80 on into northern Kansas with actual air temperatures in the upper 80s to low 90s, but over northwest and north central Kansas, mm. those temperatures already into the mid to upper 90s. And this is actual air temperature up to 99 right now at Overland, Norton at 99. Also, it's 97 on the temperature at Atwood, but in much of the northern third of Nebraska, especially from about Brooklyn. Broken Bow in Columbus and Fremont points to the north. Those temperatures in the upper 70s to low 80s. Also some persistent cloud cover from about Norfolk on over to Ord and Broken Bow in the Hyannis area. That's where we are seeing a few scattered showers and thunderstorms that are for the time being lifted to the north and northeast. Yeah, it's nice to see some rain out there. Well, it might be not, not might not be a soaker. It's at least something, and that's going to be kind of the theme on and off now for the next several days. Yes, yeah, some persistent scattered thunderstorm chances remaining in our forecast through early next week. And right now, of course, just a, a bit on the warm side, especially much of southern Nebraska and eastern Kansas, where those dew points are currently in the low to mid seventies, and that is giving us some feels like readings right now mm-hmm. on into the mid to upper nineties in much of southern Nebraska and northern Kansas, but. Once again, nicer and cooler as you head to the north. And just because you may not be seeing the warm temperatures, still a heat advisory is in effect today. Yeah, much of central and eastern Nebraska, especially along and south of the line from Lexington to St. Paul, Osceola, and Omaha on into nearby parts of central and east Kansas. A heat advisory in effect through this evening for heat index readings up to about 110. Most of us staying just ahead of a cold front today. Some more hot weather, human weather on the way with those highs about 5 to 10 degrees above normal. Not as high as what we saw yesterday, but Still going to feel very hot and sticky. The heat and humidity making it feel like it's as high as 110. Once again, in south central and southeast Nebraska, along with central and east Kansas, a cold front pushing south will result in some scattered thunderstorms across Nebraska and central Kansas for today through tomorrow. Widespread severe weather not anticipated, but a few of those storms though could go strong to severe with some hail and damaging winds. That front will stall out right near the Nebraska-Kansas border for tomorrow, resulting in highs in Nebraska still slightly warmer than average, and then about 10 degrees above normal to the south of that front in Kansas. Another thing to watch with this cold front moving in, smoke from Canadian wildfires was rather a uh, uh, result, quite a bit of it in Canada yesterday. Some of that smoke from the Canadian wildfires will be pushed into our area by this cold front. That front will keep some of that smoke at ground level with reduced visibility and air quality. We do have more on that on our KRVN Facebook page. A stronger cold front drops our highs into the 80s or slightly cooler than usual for the weekend into early next week. A nice break from the heat on the way. Often on thunderstorm chances will continue this weekend through Wednesday as multiple disturbances track to the southeast. In our long-term forecast, overall temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas, likely to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal for Tuesday through August 11th. Rain chances not looking too good, with below normal rainfall predicted Tuesday through August 11th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Checking the latest regional drought monitor, Nebraska dropped a percentage point to 31% drought-free. Dryness not a concern in portions of the South Central from near Kearney on over to Overton, then down to McCook on over to Red Cloud, much of eastern Nebraska, and from southwest Cherry County 
County to near Ogallala. Most areas have normally dried to a moderate drought. Ran along the Nebraska-South Dakota border from Boyd County to the northeast corner, there's a severe to extreme drought. Kansas continues to be in very good shape, 70% drought-free. It's abnormally dry to a moderate drought in much of the northwest and in central Kansas from Smith Center to Belleville, south to Ashland and Wellington. Key weather factors affecting the markets include heat continuing across the U.S., severe storms expected in the upper Midwest, and hotter and drier weather in Russia. Most of the U.S. will experience a reprieve from the heat. Above normal temperatures, though, will persist into the weekend across the south. Early next week, heat will begin to build once again from the Pacific coast onto the northern plains. Large areas of Montana and the Dakotas remain extremely dry. Topsoil topsoil moisture is rated 97% very short to short in Montana, along with 87% in North Dakota and 82% very short to short uh, topsoil moisture in South Dakota. Most of the Midwest will experience favorably cool weather in the next five days. Any significant rain should be limited to the southwestern Corn Belt. Drought areas in Minnesota and Wisconsin will benefit from the rainfall, but it may come with significant severe weather. In the Black Sea region, a disparity in rain chances from east to west. Periods of rain will fall through Ukraine and northwest Russia over the next week. Southwest Russia and the Volga Valley likely to miss the rain. Those areas could use more moisture as temperatures return to warmer than normal. All right. Another warm one on the day today and maybe tomorrow as well. Possibly some rain, but uh, we've kind of got through the brunt of the heat, it seems like. Yeah, that worst of the heat definitely yesterday, but still going to feel those heat index readings way up there, south central and southeast Nebraska in the nearby parts of Kansas today. All right. If somebody wanted to find a forecast, where could they find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. And this station. If there's a will, there's the way. That's the kind of thinking of the U.S. Grains Council over the last 18-plus months due to COVID-19 travel restrictions. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield here on the Rural Radio Network. During the U.S. Grains Council meeting taking place in Des Moines, I sat down with Ryan Legrand. Ryan is a president and CEO, and we talked about overcoming hurdles to promote U.S. grains. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, things are really opening up here in the United States, and we've uh, been able to enjoy some more freedoms that we didn't really have a year ago, uh, but that's not really the case around the world. In many of the markets where we're working, especially in Asia, uh, they're in various stages of lockdown, very, very strict lockdowns. And in fact, if we want to travel to many Asian nations, we're looking at a 14 to a 21 day quarantine period where we would have to be in, in a hotel room for that period of time. So really travel to, especially to that part of the world, to Asia, is really restricted. And so when you talk about communication, uh, we're just drawing on what we've done the, the, the last year, and that's going virtual, uh, reaching as large of audiences as we can uh, through Zoom meetings and through online uh, technical seminars. And that meant keeping the line of communication continually going. That's exactly right. We're reaching larger larger audiences than we have before. We're keeping those lines of communication open. And many times we're getting executives, high-ranking executives from companies attending our programs where, you know, they don't have the time to fly over here to the United States and spend a week, but they do have have the time to spend an hour on a Zoom call with us or or a couple of hours in a technical webinar with us. Same goes for high-ranking government officials. Maybe they couldn't even get permission to leave the country sometimes and go on these trips from their government. They can join a Zoom call. 
and and having the right people these people in the room in the virtual room has really helped i think to garner sales and affect policy changes i mean when you look at the actual grain trade we're going to we're going to break records for ag trade and for corn trade this year and uh you know sorghum's going gangbusters as well so we don't see too many hindrances other than not being able to be in the same room with our customers and with the officials that we deal with around the world. And one shining area has been sorghum. As Legrand talked to us about the popularity of this grain with really no old crop available for shipment. That's right. And China's been the driving factor there. Uh, I think they're sitting at about 6 million tons of, uh, of purchases for the current crop year and they are already have a, a nice start for next year. Uh, yeah, sorghum's, sorghum's pretty scarce and basis has really been on fire uh, throughout the year and that's something we're very happy to see for our sorghum producers. And we know the appetite for China has been there. Many wonder where it's going to go into the coming year. But what other niche countries are the U.S. Grains Council looking at to promote U.S. products. You know, especially as we've been more competitive on the global stage this year, we're getting uh, market share in, in areas where we didn't always get it before, like Southeast Asia into Vietnam, uh, like uh, North Africa into places like Algeria, uh, Morocco, and, and, and even Egypt, where we have lost considerable market share over the years. Uh, we're, we've, we've gotten a little bit of that back this year, and uh, it's been really nice to see, and that's additive to you know, the, the major, major China purchases of 23 million tons and the, the, your traditional top five customers like Korea, Mexico, Colombia, uh, that are, they're also up. But it's just great to see those smaller markets and those non-traditional markets coming back to the United States once again for their corn purchases. Those comments coming from Ryan Legrand, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. In Des Moines, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us. And, well, as we discussed last hour and, and yesterday, the big news is Big 12 is suing ESPN. They're, uh, they're trying. <laughs> I don't know if they'd say they've sued them. They've just sent a cease and desist mm. letter. So there may be the motions of trying to get to yes. that point. Ask my lawyer friend about this. I said, is it just a PR move? Yeah. Is there any teeth to this? And he said, well, if they could prove, you know, that ESPN has been trying to get these other schools to leave the conference, maybe they have a point. But How do you prove that? I, I, I don't know how you do either. Yeah. I think it's just more of a PR stunt, just trying to show that we're doing something. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to matter, though. No, but Big 12 <laughs> Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has sent a letter to ESPN uh, telling them to stop trying to take their uh, teams as allegedly ESPN has engaged the American Athletic Conference to pursue three to five Big 12 members joining the league. Tyler, I've seen other stories that say that it's just not three to five. Uh, it's no. been asked that yeah. the American Athletic Conference just take the entire Big 12. Well, and you would have to wonder, if they didn't reach out to this, them, other conferences as well. They might. And, uh, I mean, something's going to change by 2024 or 25, you would think. Also, was, you know, earlier this year, everybody was like, well, why all of a sudden did the SEC and the powers and be in college football, why were they all for an expanded playoff? The reason is they, they, were talking. they knew what they was were up talking. here, mm -hmm. that the Texas mm -hmm. and Oklahoma were headed to the SEC. That's why. 
Going into this season, the Nebraska secondary appears to be strong. Cornerback Cam Taylor-Britt decided to return along with safeties Markilda Smuke and Deontay Williams. In the past, each has lost playing time due to targeting calls, and Williams talks about that rule that has haunted the Huskers. About the uh, targeting rule, I wish it could change a little bit. You know, like being suspended for the whole game and then another half. That's crazy to me. I feel like at least give us like two warnings. Say if I hit somebody, target somebody, at least give them like a spot spot on the ball, 15-yard penalty. And then, or if the second time I do it, suspend me for a quarter. Good luck with that, but that's not <laughs> how it's written. Six foot one, two hundred five pounders coming up for a season in which he started seven of eight games at a career high fifty one tackles while earning honorable mention all Big Ten honors. I didn't see every every game in college football last year, but I can't think of a program hit worse by the targeting right. rule than Nebraska. Listen, he's not wrong. Unless it's egregious and you see that dude twenty yards down, lower his head and you know, is really trying to launch at him, that's maybe different. But yes, you've seen it we've seen it at every level. There's there could be a targeting call on almost every tackle. I mean the way that it just sometimes it just happens weird and people, you know, hit each other. It funky. happens it's because it's yeah, it's football. That that's what yeah. happens at football. Gracious. But yeah, a half or a game or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is and another half that's, it that's, is severe. That's too much. Yep, and uh, Drew Locke took the first snaps during eleven on eleven drills. Broncos right. opened up training camp. Hello, eight and eight. <laughs> well, no, there's one more game in there. So oh, eight and that's nine. right. Uh, eight and nine. Yeah, eight and nine. So here, you know. Teddy Bridgewater. I don't have a lot of confidence in them leading the Broncos back to the storied days. You pack your fans of Joy Rogers. <laughs> yes, one more sure. year. Just one more year. All right. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. Full announcements. Let's now turn to Midday News, and News Director Dave Schroeder staying, is now in with us. And uh, Dave, are you uh, staying cool? Yes, yes I am uh, doing that, although I keep my thermostat a little, maybe a little bit warmer than some people do. But, uh, but yep, staying cool, and I think that works pretty well so What's far. What's warmer than usual? Oh, 77, 78. Oh. Yep, How? Why? That's um, way too high, especially uh, yesterday. Just being stingy, I guess. Oh, my <laughs> goodness gracious. Yes. All right. Well, you do your own thing there, Absolutely. Dave Schroeder. Do my part to you, conserve well, energy. there you go. You're conserving. Did you hear about the Southwest Public Power Pool? Yeah. yeah that's All right. true. All right. Good, good for you, then. Nebraska 3rd District Congressman Adrian Smith said during a conference call with reporters this week that a number of appropriation bills to fund the federal government for the next fiscal year were introduced in the House this week and he doesn't like what he's seeing not only have they proposed massive spending increases across the federal government they've also brought them up in a a very closed off process which restricts the opportunity to bring forward amendments and have them considered on a standalone basis smith said the annual appropriations process regardless of who controls the house has always been an opportunity for members to raise priorities and have a fair opportunity to debate and vote on them i co-sponsored a number of amendments this year including amendments to reinstate the hyde amendment uh, block the president's 30 by 30 executive order and block reinstatement of president obama's uh, president obama's waters of the u.s rule and Democrats blocked literally all of those from even being considered uh, whatsoever. 
Smith says he's concerned about tax policies currently being considered or recently considered that have been contributing to inflation, which could put a drag on the economy. An Omaha man who pleaded guilty earlier this year to a single count of sex trafficking of a minor has been sentenced to more than 20 years in federal prison. Federal prosecutors for Nebraska say 26-year-old Glenn Whitney was sentenced in Omaha's federal court to, two, uh, to 250 months in prison. There is no parole in the federal system. In exchange for his plea, prosecutors dropped several other counts of sex trafficking and a conspiracy count. Prosecutors say federal agents uncovered the crime last year after an Omaha foster child was reported missing. The investigation showed Whitney was trafficking the 16-year-old victim for money, including providing hotel rooms, advertising, and transportation for the girl to have sex with men. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly says she's imposing a mask mandate for Kansas state government workers and visitors to state buildings. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Whitney Steckel joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. A hot and dry summer has led to a lack of forage heading into fall and winter for many beef producers. To learn more about how we can extend forage using oats heading into the cooler months, we are visiting with Ben Beckman. Ben is an extension educator for the Cedar County area. Ben, tell me a little bit about how we can utilize oats and the forage options that come with them heading into fall. You're right on with that, Whitney, that you know, hay prices look like they're going up. A lot of our grain commodity prices are, are high, so figuring out what producers want to do for forage this fall and then leading into this winter is going to be really critical for a lot of guys' bottom lines. And I think one option that folks should consider is using a small grain like oats. If we get that in the ground, um, we need to be planting it right about now to get the most out of it, but it's something that we can really utilize into the fall and actually into the winter if we plan and do it correctly. One nice thing about using oats other over some of our other small grain options is that it's not going to overwinter. You know, if we look at things like a winter wheat or rye, you know, we might get some growth this fall on them. And if we need some growth in, in grazing in the spring, that's a great option to have. But if we don't want to have to bother about terminating those in the spring, oats we can plant now. Um, we'll get a lot of growth until temperatures get cold this winter. And then, you know, those plants will die off and we don't have to worry about terminating anything into the spring. So when we're looking at at getting oats into the ground, like I said, right about now here, the first part of August is when we really want to try to get those seeded to get the most growth out of them. Of course, a lot of this is going to depend on Mother Nature and what we get in terms of precipitation this fall. But if we get the rain to, to push it along, to get that germination and get things growing. Oats can actually provide a large amount of forage in the fall, and it's pretty high quality, actually. Sometimes we actually need to watch if we're pulling off of dry pastures and going on to um, something like oats that we planted um, that our cows aren't dealing with any bloat issues, that we don't have any actual tetany issues like we'd see in the spring, just because we're going from a, you know, a switching that rumen from something that's dry and, and lower quality to something so lush and, and a lot of growth on it like we can have oats in the fall. But one thing that I, I encourage folks to consider, uh, especially when we're looking at a high-quality thing like oats, is how we can use that to either stretch forage resources or use it to the best of our advantage. You know, we've got pretty high energy and pretty high protein quality in oats if we can keep it vegetative. So, 
we need to utilize that on maybe a growing animal. Maybe we've got some yearlings or, or something like that that we could um, put those out on. You know, maybe some newly weaned calves. Uh, something that we're able to actually capture and utilize all that energy and protein potential. Um, if we're just putting you know dry cows out onto it, uh, we're probably overfeeding in that case. So maybe we could pair that, you know, do some strip grazing with it and pair it with a lower quality forage to just fill their gut up and stretch some of our forage resources for a little bit less if, if we're looking at something like a dry cow. The other thing that we really need to consider when we're looking at oats, I, I guess a nice thing about it is, is that it pairs well with other things. So if we do want some spring grazing, but we want a good fall growth here, um, we could throw in some cereal rye, some winter wheat or triticale or something, um, and get some spring growth off of it. If we want to increase our diversity of species and we want to bump up some of our um, protein and energy contents a little bit more, throwing in a, a brassica like a turnip or a, a forage rapeseed um, is a great option. And actually, if we're doing something like the, the brassica option with oats, we've had some studies done at UNL that show that the quality of those can actually extend you know, well into to January, those plants will be killed off after some hard freezes, and they won't necessarily look great. They'll kind of melt down and sink down to the ground. But the quality, because those aren't perennial plants, all of the nutrients and everything that they have are still maintained in the, the stem and the leaves of the plant. And so um, we can actually graze those if the cattle can get to them well into the winter, and they'll maintain really high quality. And we've seen drops of you know maybe 5% crude protein from their initial high quality all the way into middle of January, early February with some of those trials that they've done. So uh, it's a real opportunity to grow as much as we can and then actually graze it later on in the year. When we look at getting those established, um, we're probably looking, if we're doing a straight oats, about three bushels of oats per acre. Uh, you know, it's always best if we can really prepare a, a firm seed bed to get those into, but um, we can no-till them, those in, uh, no-till drill those in. Um, we just need to, you know, really be watching that moisture. We don't want to be um, putting seed down into a, a dry seed bed and just letting it sit there for a long time. Um, we want to make sure that we're getting it up and going. So if we've got irrigation, maybe running a little bit on to make sure that we get those plants up and growing or timing it with some rains um, to make sure that we've got that covered. We want to be making sure that we don't have any herbicides carry over from our previous fields. And then if we really want to get the biggest bang for our buck, you know, if we top dress that with a little bit of nitrogen, looking at around 40 pounds per acre, can kind of help those things get up and going, especially if you have those, the moisture in this fall. Well, thank you so much for the information today, Ben. We sure appreciate it. Glad that we can provide it. And if anybody does have any, uh, you know, further questions or wants to discuss anything further, um, you know, we always encourage folks to get a hold of their local extension office and, and talk, talk to one of their beef specialists. Um, you know, we're always happy to walk through scenarios or help out in any way we can in figuring out rations or, or looking at different feed options and figuring out what that means on your operation. Again, that is Ben Beckman, an extension educator from the Cedar County area. I'm Whitney Steckel, reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. With a business report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are higher as the latest government data showed continued economic growth and investors reviewed another batch of mostly positive corporate earnings reports. Investors were underwhelmed by the public debut of online brokerage Robinhood, 
which was trading below its IPO price. The Commerce Department said the U.S. economy grew at a solid 6.5% annual rate last quarter, while the Labor Department gave investors an encouraging update on declining claims for unemployment. The report of the growth of the economy from the Commerce Department estimated that the nation's gross domestic product, its total output of goods and services, accelerated in the April-June quarter from an already robust 6.3% annual growth rate in the first quarter of the year. For all of 2021, the economy is expected to expand about 7%. The number of Americans collecting unemployment benefits slid last week, another sign that the job market continues to recover rapidly from the coronavirus recession. The Labor Department reports that jobless claims dropped by 24,000 to 400,000 last week. The weekly applications have fallen more or less steadily this year, from a peak of 904,000 in early January. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is allowing the problem-plagued factory of contract manufacturer Emergent Biosolutions to resume production of COVID-19 vaccine. The Baltimore factory was shut down by the FDA in mid-April due to contamination problems that forced the company to trash the equivalent of tens of millions of doses of vaccine it was making under contract for Johnson & Johnson. The bulk vaccine was contaminated with an ingredient for AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine, which was being made in the same factory. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm... The U.S. Grains Council's summer meeting continuing in Des Moines with a special guest at the general session yesterday, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During Q&A, I was able to ask him about his thoughts on USMCA, as there's been some issues brewing with Canada and Mexico. Uh, well, the, the only concern I have um, with, with USMCA, or for that matter, with any uh, uh, of our relationships, is this um, is the is the balance that we have to strike uh, between encouraging our own economy and building our own economy and strengthening our own economy without sending the message that it's that we're only concerned about our economy uh, and therefore not interested in the relationships you have to have to be able to have a good trading relationship. Uh, you know, I think it's it, it, the president is very clear on this. He he wants to encourage us at USDA and every department of government to look for opportunities to buy America, and I certainly support that. Um, but if but if that's all we do and we don't figure out creative ways to have a good positive relationship with our Mexican neighbors and our Canadian member, uh, neighbors, it might restrict our number two and number three market opportunity. Um, and so I think the key here is to make sure that our Mexican friends in particular understand and appreciate that they can't just for political purposes, uh, uh, take positions that are that are not that are contrary to science. So w- when you basically say, uh, you know, we just got real concerns about GE corn, we say, well, you know, what are those concerns, and are are they legitimate? Um, and uh, Secretary Villalobos has indicated to me that they are only concerned as it relates to to uh, corn that's used in food, as opposed to feed. Uh, that's 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 something. Uh, so, th- to me, the key here is making sure that we understand we've got an agreement. We know what we negotiated. We know what, this, what the purpose and intent of this agreement was, which was to modernize NAFTA, which has worked for all three countries. 
from an agricultural perspective, and we want to maintain a, a, a good, proper relationship. With Canada, uh, it's really about making sure that they understand that, that the, 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 uh, the tricks that are played, the, the gimmicks that are played with reference to their dairy industry, just can't continue to happen because we negotiated in good faith an expansion of, of uh, the, the tariff quota and we're faced now with Canada trying to be too cute by half in terms of how they're implementing that increased tariff quota. And in speaking with U.S. Grains CEO and President Ryan Legrand, I asked him his thoughts on USMCA. Well, we're certain, first of all, we're certainly glad to have an agreement in place uh, with our two top trading partners in Canada and Mexico. Uh, but yes, it's, it's not without its challenges. Mexico's government has put decrees in place <laughs> stating that they're going to ban glyphosate stating that they're going to ban uh, genetically modified corn for human food consumption. And that's a real problem. It's a real problem for us and it's a real problem for Mexico also. When you consider that Mexico imports about 40% of its grain needs, and then you think about them cutting out glyphosate and cutting their own yields by 20 to 30%, that's only going to increase their dependence on imported grains. And to be frank, they cannot find the amount that they need to import in non-GMO they can't find it. I mean, it's not going to come from Brazil or Argentina. That's GMO. Uh, it's not going to come from halfway across the world from Ukraine. It just won't be affordable if it is even non-GMO. We have to work this out. Our two governments need to work this out. Have you got the U.S. Grains Council meeting continuing through Friday in Des Moines. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Play patent on the World Radio Network. Let's shake in on the closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, 24 hours ago we were talking about the Fed announcement was just out. Now the market started to digest that data, and really it seems bullish for the equities. The stock market's higher, but the grains have been lockstep with it in a move higher once again. Is this a time now when we start trying to just be cautious and be ready for some downside pressure, or does the longer-term trend look still bullish? Longer term trend looks bullish. Now the seasonals in the short run, the weather, uh, and just the you know the overall attitude of the farmer here to want to sell, raise cash, pay higher rents, higher inputs. That's all I think keeping prices somewhat steady here. I'm shocked we're not we're not higher in the September. You know we've got 85 over basis here in Illinois. You've got 300 dollars metric ton corn in Brazil. Argentinian prices are going up. Uh, you have what's going on in Canada and the Dakotas right now. Obviously, we're going to have a really good crop in Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, but I'm just surprised that September futures haven't bid themselves up at all um, relative to the December. In fact, yesterday morning we went under for a while. So I uh, did trade three above the D's today. Uh, corn traded well. I think the you know the fund traders may be looking to jump back in. Confirmation of a purchase here from China would go a long way to getting the board to move. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we sit and watch wheat prices, deferred wheat prices high, uh, that, that spells good news for corn, which is essentially the cheapest feed grain in the world right now. And we are getting more data out from that wheat tour in North Dakota and the spring wheat crop just looking poor. Uh, what does that, how does that factor into USDA data going forward? And really, can spring wheat kind of just lift the entire grain complex? Well, I think if you're a food producer, it's certainly going to, you're going to feel it, you know. The higher protein wheat is what's used in a lot of human consumption, so I think we'll feel that more than say a you know a wheat feed wheat problem that we ha- or we would have. But in the short run, I, I think you look at now where where the USDA is going to put the total acre or total yield because when you start talking about ten million, we have a five hundred 
million bushel use every year. It's pretty steady, actually. Um, and we have 250 to 300 million left over from a year ago. So we're going to draw down all those stocks and be left with about 100 million left over, citing the current demand. If demand goes up, which there's some argument it might, you're going to be left with even less than 100 million. So we're going to go from like a 400 million carryover in wheat, all, spring wheat, all the way down to a uh, you know a sub 100. And that's where you start talking about the you know, 11, 12, 13, 15, $20 price targets. And they'll ha- most likely happen in the delivery, and it'll be in the physical. So uh, best of luck to you if you have it. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, published of the Daily Newsletter this week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, train future options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Thursday edition of Midday. Catch the entire Midday podcast sponsored by Divinity Motors. Wherever podcasts can be found or online at krvn.com. Coming up at the bottom of the hour in just about four minutes, it's another edition of KRVN News brought to you by the Nebraska Aviation Trade Association.